This is episode 139 with the Director of Strength and Conditioning at Colorado College and the former Coaching Education Manager at the National Strength and Conditioning Association, Mr. Scott Caulfield. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Fitzgerald, and this podcast is dedicated to bringing you the brightest minds in the fitness industry to help you become a better runner. You're going to hear from elite runners, the pros who are setting records and leading the pack, but you'll also be surrounded by their support team, the sports psychologists, strength experts, coaches, best-selling authors, and physical therapists who make it all possible. The goal is always be giving you new ideas to improve to get better, and reach more of your goals. Because as I like to say, knowledge is a competitive advantage. If you're new to the show, please feel free to browse our other 138 episodes or our website, strengthrunning.com, for our coaching programs, detailed guides on topics from tempo runs to strength workouts to how you can stay healthy. And if there's something you don't see, let me know and I'll make it for you. I would also like to take a brief moment to say thank you for making this podcast One of the most popular running shows in the United States. We've actually surpassed 2 million downloads, and many of you have left reviews in Apple Music over the last few weeks, and I sincerely appreciate that. If you've been a longtime listener and you've never left a review, do that and let me know. I'll do something nice for you too. This episode is sponsored by Inside Tracker, a company that I've long supported because they help endurance runners optimize their training and avoid overtraining. Just take a simple blood test to see if any of your biomarkers are outside of your unique personal zones, and then use their custom suggestions to improve. It's like they say, blood don't lie. Use code STRENGTHRUNNING, no space, to save 10% on any of their blood testing kits at InsideTracker.com. All right, our guest today is Mr. Scott Caulfield. He's the Director of Strength and Conditioning at Colorado College, where he's responsible for the development of the school's athletes. He earned a bachelor's degree in physical education and master's in sports coaching. Scott holds the Certified Strength and Conditioning Specialist with Distinction Certification and Registered Strength and Conditioning Coach with Distinction Designation from the National Strength and Conditioning Association, as well as USA Weightlifting's Level 2 Advanced Sports Performance Coach Certification. Before leading Colorado College's strength and conditioning team, he was the coaching education manager and head strength and conditioning coach at the National Strength and Conditioning Association. And in this episode, we're talking about how he's advising his athletes to stay strong while they're at home, easy ways to stock a home gym for far less than 100 bucks, how to make bodyweight exercises more demanding to simulate lifting heavier weights, and the strength training differences for sports as varied as running and hockey. Without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Mr. Scott Caulfield. First, thanks so much for agreeing to do this. Um, I'm excited to chat and learn a little bit more about strength training for runners in particular and some ways that we can make it a little bit more productive even without a gym in these crazy trying times right now. So Scott, I know that you are the director of strength and conditioning at Colorado College, which I actually looked at when I was looking at schools back in 2005. Oh, I'm sorry, 2001. I'm I'm not that young. <laughs> <laughs> nice. But uh, I ended up staying on the East Coast, but I, I couldn't stay away from Colorado forever. So here I am in Denver. 
But um, let's get started and talk a little bit more about strength training and how runners can uh, make the most of this time at home away from a gym. But maybe we can back up a second, Scott. Let's just pretend for a minute that we're not all sheltering in place right now and that we have our normal lives back. What do you typically do on a daily basis as the director of strength and conditioning? Yeah, so I have a pretty uh, cool job, I would say. Uh, we have a little unique setting too in uh, Colorado College is a you know private liberal arts school, one of probably the uh, highest academic schools in the country, actually. And uh, we have a couple different Division One teams: uh, ice hockey on the men's side and women's soccer on the women's side, and then we have fifteen Division Three teams. So I oversee uh, all the physical physical preparation for all those teams. Um, and I do have uh, assistants. So luckily I don't have to do it all by myself. I have one full-time assistant and then we have three paid part-timers. So um, the two division one teams are my primary responsibility. And so I also have the other uh, men's women's basketball and men's women's track and field um, under my belt. And then my assistants help me out. So a typical day though, would look at, we start at 6 or 6.30 in the morning while morning groups. Um, again, if people have heard of Colorado College, they might also know it for what's called the block plan, which is a pretty unique academic uh, schedule. And uh, I think it would be great when I think when I heard about it. So basically, you take one class for three and a half weeks, and then you go on to basically what we call the next block. So there's four blocks per semester, and there's eight blocks per year. Um, but you only would take one class at a time. So if you're taking organic chemistry, you're taking that for three and a half weeks, you never have to take it again. So you're not trying to juggle four different classes or five classes or three classes and two labs. So it's very concentrated. Um, and it also makes our training schedule pretty good because everyone is in class at the same time. So from about 8 a.m. to noon or 12.30 uh, we have a pretty good break while kids are in class. And then in the afternoon, we ramp back up with our athletic teams and working around their practice schedules. And that'll usually go a couple hours of what we, we call kind of flex time in the middle of the day from, say, 1 to 3. We've got kids coming in to make up workouts um, or work around their schedules. And then from 3 to 6, or depending on what time of year, maybe a little bit later than that, we have team lifting. So it's, it can be a pretty, pretty busy place when we have to fit in a few of our bigger teams at once. But uh, that's part of the fun too. Yeah, it sounds like it. And and I'm sure it's really interesting to work with such a wide variety of athletes and just going back and forth between different genders, different uh, types of sports and teams and, and really being challenged in that regard too. Yeah, it, it definitely keeps it exciting, keeps it interesting. Um, you know, it keeps us thinking and thinking about how to best practices and how the best, you know, to get the best bang for our buck if we're limited on time. So it really makes it a fun part of the job to, to have to program for that many teams as opposed to if you just had football or basketball or something like that. Right. And, and you said something really interesting. You were saying how, you know, as a strength and conditioning coach, your job is really to prepare your athletes for the sport. It's, it's preparatory in nature. And I really like that frame on strength and conditioning, because I think particularly when it comes to runners, a lot of people think that you run to get in shape, but in fact, to be a good runner, you first have to be in good shape. And, and that is 
maybe a lot of folks might think that's just semantics, but it's really powerful because I think it frames running as, you know, a complex activity that takes a lot of skill and fitness, not something that you just do to get in shape. You know, I don't think anyone would say, well, I'm just going to play football until I get in shape. (laughs) You know, you have to be in shape before you play the game of football. And I think the same is true for running, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, and I say it all the time is that we're, you know, the, the athletes that we're getting and that we're working with, um, they didn't come to college to lift weights, right? They came to get an education first, and then they probably came to play their sport. Uh, so getting them in the weight room, though, getting to understand that the, the importance of having a really good strength foundation is going to make them less likely to get injured. It's going to improve their sport performance. You know, once they kind of see those lights come on, it, it makes it a lot easier. Yeah, I'm sure selling these athletes on strength work and getting in the gym and lifting weights is just easier when they start seeing those tangible results. And I certainly have to deal with that as a running coach who's very adamant about the importance of strength training for endurance runners. Uh, it's, It's almost a hard sell sometimes, but I think once a runner starts getting in the weight room consistently and they start really buying in to the value of strength training, then, you know, it's almost like no going back. They never want to train without any strength work anymore because they understand how it makes them feel and really how it impacts their performances. Um, now, Scott, one of the big questions that I had for you today was, you know, the fact that most of us are at home right now, most gyms are shut down. We're struggling to maintain our strength programming. How are you advising the athletes that you would typically be working with right now? And also the coaches that coach those athletes, you know, how should we think about this unique time with regard to strength and conditioning? What can we do at home to hopefully stay strong so that we can jump right back into the weight room once we're able to. Yeah. You know, the, the thing that I've been preaching to our athletes is that, um, and, and for a lot of people, I mean, myself included is like probably never going to have a period of time in our lives that we would be able to devote to just kind of getting a really solid fitness foundation like we have right now. Like, most of us are working from home, so our schedule is a little bit more flexible. Um, we can train, we can eat really good, we can get incredible rest. We, you know, there's no reason you can't really socialize with your friends. We shouldn't be staying out late and doing other things. So, like, the foundation that you have the opportunity to build if you take the right attitude right now is pretty unparalleled. You're not going to have many chances to do that. Uh, in your lifetime. Um, we keep it pretty simple. We, we do have kids who have access to different uh, maybe home gyms or equipment. Um, we actually send all of our programs through um, an app-based system, which is called Volt Athletics, V-O-L-T. Um, and I will just plug them because uh, it's pretty cool that they actually have a individual user um, option. So um, they're, you know, available uh, through iTunes or through uh, the Apple store and through on Google play um, and people could sign up for it. And what they did is we have body weight programs. So we send all of our kids, all of our teams, body weight programs. But if someone has access to some equipment, you can actually toggle in your settings button and you can say, well, I have dumbbells and I have bands and it'll adjust your program automatically to um, adjust to what you have. So that's been pretty cool. Um, but you know, big, 
big bang for your buck uh, foundational exercises um, are, are probably the easiest thing to do and the, the most um, fundamental exercises, you know, squatting, lunging, uh, hip hinging, um, doing some kind of carry, uh, pressing your body weight, such as pull-ups or push-ups. Um, all of these basic, uh, you know, I call them fundamental movement principles um, are really easy to do no matter where you are. So, you know, you could do that anywhere, anytime. And, and you know, the like I said, if we had to do it forever, we'd have to continually kind of find ways to change it because the body is an incredible machine and it adapts pretty uh, effectively and efficiently. So you have to figure out how to overload it and st- do different stimulus sometimes. But the, the body weight stuff is so fundamental. And I mean, we would still do body weight movements in some way, shape or form throughout the year, you know, no matter what, even when we have access to a full gym. Yeah, that's great. And and I always recommend my athletes to do a, a fair amount of body weight strength at work because I feel like it's like you mentioned, it's just so fundamental to not just you being a strong athlete, but also having a certain amount of movement fluency and being able to have the coordination and the balance and the proprioception and, you know, all the physical skills that it takes to do some of these exercises. Cause it's not just absolute strength that we're working on when we're doing strength training like this, you know, we're working on a variety of skills. Um, now, now Scott, you mentioned, you know, the body weight exercises have a big fundamental part in your program, but if kids do have some implements at home that they can use some equipment, then they can start doing that. Do you have any recommended, you know, really versatile pieces of home equipment that runners can get for their strength training at home? Uh, I mean, I think, uh, some, a set of dumbbells and some, and if you have access to obviously like, uh, kettlebells would be great too, to add to that. But, you know, you're talking bare bones basics. If you can have some dumbbells and some sort of bench of some sort, because you could also use that again to, to not just lay down and, you know, do upper body, but you could put one foot on it to do a single leg squats. You could do step ups on it. It's so multi-purpose. Um, and then some sort of resistance bands, um, which are really easy to get these days. Um, last thing I would probably say is some kind of stability ball or some type of medicine balls, depending on your budget, you know, and how much room you have or want to put into uh, that kind of stuff. Right. I think if you had a set of dumbbells, a kettlebell, a few bands and a medicine ball, you could probably get all of that equipment for probably less than 70 or $80. And you'd get, you'd go a pretty long way to having a versatile home gym setup where you could get a lot of strength benefits without laying out a ton of cash and having the space for, for, you know, a squat rack and all those bigger pieces of equipment that you do need to do those more advanced exercises and to really give yourself a more thorough, complete strength workout. But you're right. I think some of the really simple equipment is, is really uh, versatile. And I think with less than a hundred bucks, we can do a lot of damage when it comes to our home gyms. Um, is there a way that to perform body weight exercises to make them harder? You know, you were mentioned earlier that you had to continuously change things if you were going to be doing body weight exercises in perpetuity. So how do we change them? How do we, how can we get additional benefits without that added additional weight? 
Yeah. So again, if if kind of, if overload, we'll call it, isn't you know really an option for you, um, definitely a lot of ways to change um, the exercises from progression purposes. Now that could be uh, we could change the tempo, right? So the the slower and more controlled, or even depending on what the movement is, the faster, right? Could make it a harder stimulus because now. If it's faster, your heart rate's up, you're making it maybe more of a conditioning component. Um, if we're doing some sort of, uh, if we were doing, let's say, some sort of bodyweight squat, and now we're adding in a plyometric component where we're doing a bodyweight squat jump, again, we're adding a degree of difficulty that's going to make it harder. So tempo, uh, speed. Um, also, depending, again, on what movement we're doing, you could change either the angle or the level. Um, and so again, um, if you were, you know, if you were only able to maybe do a push up, um, you know, off of like, um, in a bench and now you're progressing that to taking it down to the floor and doing it there, uh, or you're taking your plank from having your elbows on the floor to straightening your arms into like a full kind of yoga plank, um, you know, those, those kind of level changes, tempo and speed changes are really good ways to adapt the exercise to make it more difficult. Can you give us an example of when we may want to increase the tempo of our lifting and also decrease the tempo of our lifting? Like when should we be thinking about each one there? So I think you need to, again, if you're really kind of new and just starting strength training, I think you need to do everything slow and controlled and have that good base. So that would be really the kind of step one and then you know i would i would add into doing more speed work or adding plyometrics kind of as you've been more comfortable with body weight uh just controllable body weight stuff and then again once you know if you've gotten if you've been doing that for a while now you could take it back and maybe do some really slow and controlled exercises movements or again i didn't mention this one before but an isometric right where we're holding and maybe maybe let's for example say because i think this one you know from a running standpoint might make sense but if you're in like a lunge position with one foot front one behind your knees are both bent you're kind of in that low position uh almost as if you're in a running gait, you know, and you're holding that in the lowest position for a time, you know, that's going to be a really good challenge of a lot of different properties from strength, endurance, um, you know, conditioning, and it's going to be great for ligaments and tendons as well. The isometric holds are interesting to me because I, I feel like this is an area of strength training that a lot of runners don't really know too much about. And I admittedly, only know a little bit about it, except for the fact that isometric strength is really important for runners because a lot of the times that's exactly what we're doing. We're, we're kind of holding a lot of tension in our body, waiting for it to be released. Can you talk a little bit more about that and, and how we can work on it at home? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, and not to get too scientific on you, but there's, there's really kind of three parts of, you know, of a muscular contraction and the concentric, eccentric, and isometric. And, and the concentric, eccentric makes sense to everybody. That's a lifting, lifting and lowering. Isometric is kind of that midpoint, um, and that's that where we're going to hold that. And it's very small in some, 
instances. So again, typically doesn't get trained because people, again, like you're saying, either haven't heard of it or don't you don't know how to utilize it. But you know, there's I think because of the nature of how running is so um, ballistic and can be demanding depending on the surface, right? Um, if we're able to train the body to kind of withstand those. Uh, movements or positions for a longer period of time, you're going to build up some more resilience in those positions. Yeah, I like that. I like that because, you know, a lot of parts of the running gait and the stride are isometric movements when, you know, your foot's planted on the ground, you're holding an incredible amount of tension in your quads and your calf and your soleus. And if you can be isometrically strong, then you're going to be able to get more energy return from your stride. And and I think that is a big component of your running economy or your efficiency. And it's something that we should all be thinking about as as runners for sure. For sure. That's a great point. Uh, Let's talk about scheduling, Scott, because this is probably one of the most popular aspects of strength training that I'm asked about. What do you think is an optimal schedule for a distance runner to be lifting weights during the week? Are there certain days that that you would say, no, you definitely don't want to do a strength workout on this day and some days where it's quite advantageous? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I hate to use the, we love to say it depends in strength and conditioning, but <laughs> every know, coach, I, I think, think. <laughs> right. Um, you know, if, if, if it's obviously that, when you're, if you're out of season, if you're a competitive racer and you're out of season, this is a better, this is a great time to focus on maybe have skewing your training toward lifting more. Um, uh, and, and, you know, I think three days a week is a pretty good number for runners to look for, to get in and do some strength work. Now, once your schedule starts ramping up, your mileage starts ramping up, it, it's really important not to go away from it altogether. Um, but if you had to drop to even one day a week, you know, you probably could still maintain some of the benefits that you had. Um, and again, depending on if you're, you know, like an ultra runner or you're just training for 5k, 10k, whatever that might be, I would, you know, depending on the total volume of your mileage too, I think you could try and keep your strength training up on the higher end, uh, assuming your mile, you know, you're not doing crazy ultra distances that are just going to really take so much of your time. Right. And so when you recommend one to three times per week for strength training, this is really weightlifting in the gym. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yep. Okay. Cause that's, I, I know a lot of runners, they'll do a lot of body weight stuff, you know, just like your other athletes. Uh, and, and I think that stuff is it's almost very restorative in nature, particularly after a long run or a workout where doing 10 or 15 minutes of body weight exercises after the run. Yes, we're doing it for strength, but there's also, you know, the aspect of helping you cool down and improving your range of motion and just working through different movements that I think is really important. Do do you have your athletes use strength training in that regard in any way? Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. So if you think about what we call a dynamic warm up, you know, is is something that we would typically do before we run or sometimes depending on what we're doing before we lift. Um, it's, it's basically body weight, you know, mobility and flexibility movements that are kind of tied together. And we'll do that as part of cool down or again, like you mentioned, 
to flex to focus on that flexibility and mobility after we strength train as well. And then those are entirely, generally speaking, body weight movements that we're going to use. Right, right. Very different than you know heavy deadlifts in the gym. Exactly. Now, uh, for those weightlifting days, let's let's say you're in season. Uh, you're running a race, say every other weekend, and you have two days a week that you're actually in the gym lifting weights. When it comes, and I'm going to get back to the scheduling things on this, when we are scheduling these lifting workouts, should we, I mean, obviously we probably don't want to lift the day before our race. That, that seems like common sense, but what are the other days that you would look at in the week as really advantageous for the runner to be putting their strength work on? Yeah, I mean, I think if you can give yourself a couple days, you know, typically depending on how much you're gonna you do, it's gonna take you maybe uh, up to two days to fully recover from a workout too. So you know, obviously, we don't necessarily want to do um, back to back days of strength training. So ideally, separating it by at least one day, and that schedule again could be a Monday, Wednesday, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Tuesday, Thursday, but you know, I'd like to give you a couple days before you compete or before you have a hard training day to totally recover, to be fresher for sure. Yeah. I think that's a good point too, um, is, is spacing them appropriately and kind of distributing that effort a little bit more evenly throughout the week so that you're not cramming too much hard work into just a couple days. And, and this is certainly something that, you know, I deal with a lot in terms of the running that my runners are doing. So, you know, is there an adequate amount of time between the harder workouts and between the long run? and spacing those out so that you're not condensing everything into a really short time period, um, you know, on one side of the week, for example, because I think that's where we run into injury problems. You know, you start, you start having three days in a row that are really challenging, and then you have two really easy days. And, you know, we can better distribute that effort so that we can not only stay healthy, but I think better adapt to all the training stress that we're putting ourselves under. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, let's talk a little bit about strength training differences in different sports. You know, one of the reasons why I want to talk to you, Scott, is that you don't just work with the track and field team. You're working with so many different other teams, you know, hockey and soccer in particular. And I'd love to hear some high level goals, you know, not specific exercises or anything like that, but just how you think about strength training for different sports. So, you know, maybe we can do track and field versus hockey. That seems like a very, uh, two, two sports that are very, very different. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, the biggest thing, the, probably the most important thing is doing some kind of a needs analysis. So, right. We're going to look at the sport. We're going to look at, uh, what are the, what are the demands of the sport? So what are the positional demands, right. Of the people that are playing it. So goalies have different positional demands than forwards uh jumper high jumpers have different demands than you know the 800 meter thousand and 1500 meter specialists so you know look at the sport look at the position um also what are the common injury sites so we know hockey is an extremely violent sport um we tend to see a lot of uh, shoulder injuries we see a lot of um knee injuries most of those again end up being from contact because it's a very aggressive sport um track and field maybe not so much maybe it's more or depending again on what um what their uh, meat is what the actual 
specific thing they're doing? Are they uh, going to be more of an overuse if they're running 1500 meters or longer? Or, you know, is it something that just might be, uh, you know, like jumpers and throwers, for example, can be a little more strength and power specific. They're not going to need to have the endurance that your 800, 1500 meter people are going to have. Um, again, hockey, uh, we look, like I said, a lot of shoulders, knees, and hips uh, because of the nature of the skating movement, too. You know, we kind of have to think about it. it's not really a sprinting motion. It's not really uh, like a cycling motion. So there's no no real way to exactly train. I mean, we can train to some degree running for conditioning for hockey, but really skating is probably the best thing that we can do. Can we do a needs analysis for a hypothetical 10,000 meter runner distance runner right now? Sure. Yeah. I mean, so if you think about, you know, what the amount of time they're going to spend and, and maybe you can give me a rough idea is what's, what's our average time for a 10,000 meter runner. Do we think, uh, the average, Oh, that's a great question. Of course it varies a lot, but considering our audience right now is adult runners, let's just kind of pick a time. Let's just pick about 45 minutes. Okay. Yeah. So we know they're going to spend 45 minutes running their race, right? So we know probably, you know, they're, they're used to kind of longer distance. Um, they probably are not going to be a super explosive. Uh, so I'm going to say that, you know, over that course of time, it's it's ankle, knee, and hip that are probably going to be uh, overused or overworried, and that, that we want to focus the most time on. And again, we know that you know upper body does um, come into play. I think it's about thirty percent that the arms are actually used in sprinting. And again, now we're not sprinting the whole time, so we want to have some sort of upper body work in there. And of course. Right, uh, the core, and not to overuse uh, used word, but the core or midsection, however you want to define that, uh, I call it from our, you know, from our shoulders to our hips. Uh, we have to we have to have a strong core because we have to be able to transfer force into the ground through our body um, and and be efficient with it. So you know, I would look at you know focusing the majority of our time on our lower body strengthening. Um, core strength throw a little upper body in there just for kind of injury prevention um and you know and uh, and also again because we know that it's a longer distance longer duration uh, we want to add a little bit of strength a little bit more strength and power some explosiveness in there to have the tap into some of those other muscle fibers yeah i think that's important and, and even at the ten thousand meter distance when a lot of runners will think it's not very uh not a very power oriented type of event uh surely i think the more competitive you get in any running event the more power oriented it gets just because you're you're more capable of running closer to your max speed because of your higher fitness level and so that in itself presents a whole host of both opportunities and i think problems because you know you're you're running with a uh, a wider range of motion, you're exerting more force against the ground with every step. And so, you know, the faster you get, generally speaking, the stronger you also get, but the risk for injury also gets higher as well because of those extra impact forces and you just kind of sending more shock up through your body. Um, do you advise runners more 
generally speaking on injury prevention as well? Yeah, I mean, we kind of, that's kind of a, uh, I think that word for us goes hand in hand with strength training. It's really the, it's, it underpins everything we do and we're really hoping that we can make people stronger and more resilient so that they're less likely to get injured. And that's really kind of what underpins everything. And then, you know, the second part of it is that it could help us improve athletic performance, but really the, the whole purpose that I look at strength training uh, for athletics is, is that decreasing the likelihood of injury. Yeah. And that, what that does is really allow the athlete to train more consistently. And I think the athlete who's able to train more consistently is always going to be a better athlete than the runner or athlete in general, who is missing a bunch of time because they're hurt or, you know, they're nursing these little injuries and they're just missing practices. And when you add that up over a year, it could be weeks and weeks of training time. And I think that really adds up. Yeah, I think that's a great point. If you look at the people who, you know, maybe some of the people who are successful in the sports that are older, right? And that's exactly what you've said is their consistency has been there throughout their career. And, and it's, they may not have, you know, maybe they're super high level, it's very possible. But at the end of the day, it's not necessarily like who does the most, it's who can do it repeatedly over time. Yeah. And I think a lot of runners think about the big mileage weeks, the really intense workouts, the really long, long runs. And they think those monster sessions are what's going to bring their performances to a whole new level. But I I really try to stay away from that because those are the things that end up getting us hurt. You know, it's the, it's the crazy workouts that just leave you totally spent on the side of the track. It's the 120 mile weeks, you know, particularly if you're not ready for that. And, And really it's consistency over time. It's the, the most manageable workload that you can complete over time and you do it consistently over and over and over again. And that's really what makes uh, a good athlete, not just a good runner, but I think a good athlete. Um, Scott, I love talking about this kind of stuff with you and, and particularly when it comes to staying healthy, because I think for runners, you know, injury prevention is kind of this joint project between the running coach and the strength coach, because the strength coach is going to be great in the weight room. And then the running coach is hopefully designing training that is not going to get you injured in the first place. You know, I don't think we can, we can ever strength train our way out of just terribly designed training, but when the two work in concert with one another, then that's where we get that great cross-section of injury prevention, staying healthy, being able to run pain-free, but also developing that strength and power for performance so you can run faster and faster. So Scott, thank you so much for being here. Any parting words for our runners who are missing the weight room right now? Uh, I'd just say, you know, keep doing what you can do with what you have access to. And, you know, there's the, the, I guess the best thing at the end of the day, uh, from a lot of this going on is the amount of info that's out there right now on social media, whether it be Instagram or Twitter or wherever you get your info from, uh, everybody's putting up body weight workouts. So, you know, look for, look to you to direct them in the right direction or, you know, people they trust. And there's so much good content out there right now that, you know, it's, it's easy to find. Well, great. Th- Scott, thank you for being here. I appreciate your expertise and I hope you're able to get back in the weight room soon with your athletes too. Thanks. I appreciate it.
And there we have it. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. And if so, an honest review on Apple Music is incredibly appreciated. As always, you can find show notes, links to books, resources, training programs, videos, and more that we discussed on the show at strengthrunning.com. I also want to thank Inside Tracker for sponsoring today's show. They're a health analytics company that tests for over 40 different blood biomarkers. And based on your physiology, they offer you custom solutions to help you optimize any areas that might be outside of what your personal zones might be. So if you're training for a difficult race, maybe you want to ramp up your recovery because you haven't been feeling very good, or you're just a passionate running geek like me who's always looking for more ways to improve you can get 10% off any test that they offer at insidetracker.com with code STRENGTHRUNNING at checkout. It's not case sensitive, and it can be used for any tier that they offer from the affordable do-it-yourself kit to the ultimate package. Just use code STRENGTHRUNNING to claim your 10% savings at Inside Tracker. Just don't do what I did and get a bunch of blood drawn in the morning only to go summon a mountain at altitude an hour later. Some lessons just have to be learned the hard way. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for listening to the show today. And as always, if you have any feedback or questions, don't hesitate to reach out. My email is support at strengthrunning.com. And I'm always here to help. Talk to you soon.